Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. Welcome, everyone, to the Strength Coach Experience, episode number 37. Uh, today, I would like to welcome Frank Casenza, who is a strength coach and also the author of the book, Confidence. Uh, it's basically a systematic approach to um, to help with discipline, and we'll, we'll definitely get into that. Uh, Frank, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it, and I'm excited to uh, you know kind of dive into the book and also uh, your background as well. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, so, you know, why don't we start off early, you know, growing up and, and then we'll go into kind of how you got involved into the strength and conditioning world and, and kind of the, the tumbles. And yeah. Turns. Yeah. Awesome. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, one of six kids. Um, I got into sports around 14. I played high school football and then eventually got to play division three college football. Uh, I'm undersized, so I spent a lot of my time in the weight room to try to get every ounce of ability out of myself. And uh, when I was done, because of many injuries, I basically needed to figure out what to do next. Uh, my background undergrad was in criminal justice. I know it has nothing to do with strength conditioning, but I basically was doing legal secretary work and working towards uh, getting the to law school and that sort of fizzled out, but I never, you know, skipped a day in the gym. Uh, while I was trying to figure out my next move, uh, my brother, my younger brother, Joe, um, purchased a certification for me and then I took it and sort of kind of just fell into personal training. Uh, I had a job in a corporate gym in New York city for, uh, seven years. And then, um, I realized back in 2008. So a few years after I started it, that I really wanted to become a strength and conditioning coach, but I knew that because of my background, I was slightly hamstrung. Uh, so I went back to school and got my master's degree at Columbia in applied physiology and then sort of systematically decided to open up my own gym after grad school. And then kind of just been doing this ever since. Yeah. Uh, so when you uh, when you were going through, you know, you said you went you know, always involved in weightlifting and football and things like yep. that. Um, and you went into criminal justice. Was working out always something you you kept with you, though? It was always made yeah. you get in the gym, even though you, you kind of went a different way. Yeah. So I, I uh, so I was working in um, a really big law firm in New York City. And a lot of people that I knew at the time were like super uh, envious, I guess. And for me, it was just a job to pay the bills, but I was like really trying to figure out how I can continue to work out and get to the gym and, and still, you know, maintain my gains, so to speak. Um, so I was getting up at like four 30 in the morning to get to the gym by five, um, in Brooklyn, uh, because like after work, I don't, I don't know if you remember these things, but back in the day after work, 
you know, you go in 536, it's just a madhouse. You have to wait yeah. for all sorts of equipment. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hated it. So I, I always just was like, no, no one's crazy enough to go in early in the morning. So I'd go in. I actually forced my younger brother, Joe, at the time to, to do it with me. And I, I just, for me, like working out has taught me everything that I could possibly imagine in terms of, like my book says, creating discipline, understanding work ethic, you know, the desire to, you know, push through these grueling workouts and systematically just over time, just it has always been there. And it's just been something that I've continued to do. And I mean, I can't imagine not doing it. Uh, I've, I've taken off very few, t- very small amounts of time over the years, even with injuries. Uh, after one of the surgeries that I had, I've had nine. I remember on crutches, uh, going into the gym. I was still trying to lift because in my mind, I still had other things I can focus on, even though I didn't have the use of both legs. It it was, uh, yeah, it's been something that has just been a part of me. So I don't know another way. And, um, basically that's kind of how the book came about too, is, you know, they say, if you want to write something or talk about something, you should talk about what you know. And I know like two things in this world, movies, and working out and uh so for me it was kind of a no-brainer with the business that i that i had in columbus the idea was to try to help promote the business and the understanding of what our philosophy was so it was a lot about bridging the gap of you know why we started the company but really the philosophy and the core values of of the gym which were basically reflections of me um so yeah the business concluded and but i still go on so yeah the idea I, was to kind of promote that no i, I think it's always uh, a big thing you know when, when you talk to coaches and trainers the discipline thing for us i think going to the gym isn't doesn't hit you as how much discipline it actually takes because for us it's right. fun right and i've had yeah. you know lots of conversations with other trainers you know i'm sure you've met people that they don't understand why the general public or whoever you're training doesn't get all gung-ho and I'm like because for you it's it's fun right I can go to gym all day and spend you know you have to force yourself to leave sometimes if you get in a good rhythm and I think it's always interesting that well they don't understand I said no this is your fun time right and that discipline getting up at 4 45 in the morning to somebody who doesn't work out is insane but to somebody who the gym is their thing it's 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 almost an excitement right and once you end up getting out of bed and once you get there it takes on a mind of its own so I think it's very interesting and I think that's great to um, you know, create discipline or, or to share your values with that, because that's what happens. Also, if you're an avid lifter, not even somebody who's in the business, you have to find time to lift. But it's always, you know, something where you're able, you're able to say, okay, I'm going to get up earlier, right, to go to the gym, because I have right. to get this done. And the, the whole after work thing usually never works. But I, I just want to point that out. I think that's great. And I, I always feel like that's always a big deal. Most people don't understand that for us, it's a way of life. And it's a thing we do. And, and, you know, like you said, you didn't know any different. It's we don't know any other way to combat with stress. And I think that's where, especially for me with with COVID and everything going on, it was really tough in the first few months because I didn't have a gym because it's usually OK. All this stuff is going on. But now I can use the gym to kind of keep that that discipline that you brought up. 
uh, you know, as my thing, as long as I'm going to the gym and I'm making sure I'm getting there five, six times a week, everything's okay. But now if I'm not going to the gym and I'm not doing these things, now my food mates suffer and everything starts to tumble. So I think that's, you know, the gym for, for everybody in the industry or somebody who's just about to lift, I think that's kind of the plug that keeps us connected to the wall. And when that was taken away, you know, it kind of spins things away or, or, you know, you get kind of um, off track, if you will. Absolutely. So when you played football and, and when you were, you know, in high school, were you a leader on the team? Were you a, a more of a quiet guy who got their work done? Or were you always kind of somebody that you might knew you you might coach or, or do something like that in the future? So, yeah, I was I was absolutely a leader, um, which is kind of weird. Uh, being one of six, I didn't really have an identity. And when I found my identity with sports, the reality behind it was like, I just wanted to do that all day, every day. Um, and I was, uh, so I'm very fit now, I would say. But I, when I was a kid, I was a pudgy fat kid. And I, uh, my first year playing, obviously scared out of my mind, really didn't enjoy, you know, changing in front of any, everybody. But I wasn't afraid of the work. Like, I would just keep showing up no matter the beatings that I took. And... um just over the years, just playing football, you know, from the freshman year class through the senior year, uh, I just, I embraced every aspect of it. I, I was willing to put in a ton of work in the, in the weight room. I enjoyed as much as I hated it. I enjoyed running and training for it. And all I wanted to do was play football. And, you know, when high school ends and you have to go to college, I had no idea what I wanted to go to college for. I just kind of st- stayed on the path that I was in high school for. And, but, you know, football to me was everything. So I was committed to doing whatever I could to be strong to play because I knew that obviously, again, I'm not a big guy. Um, I think when I, at the best of my playing days, I was 185 pounds. Um, but I'm only like five, five and that's, lucky if my hair standing up and the cleats were two inches uh but i knew that in order to get playing time or exceptional playing time i had to be either stronger than somebody else on the field not care as much about my body or my physical well-being and you know just be able to outwork anybody so my motor uh the drive to be on the field it was all exciting and and to me like you said, it, it was all playtime because the more I put it in the gym, the more I can see the benefits on the field. The faster I was, the stronger I was, the harder I can hit. Uh, it was all sort of, you know, coming together. Uh, but injuries being what they were, derailed all of that. Uh, but, you know, to me, it was just uh, – it was something that I was extremely passionate about. My senior year of college – I actually went back to my high school and I started helping coaching during the summer and I was getting ready to go away to camp with the team. And I, I like when I'm doing it, I'm like, man, I could really see myself doing this because, you know, I mean, I might, I might not have been the best player, but I understood X's and O's. I understood uh, all the aspects and nuances of the game. Um, and I guess I was just a little bit more cerebral as a player because I can see things happening obviously not gifted with super size and talent. Um, but I tried to get every ounce out of myself and yeah, I, I didn't see myself becoming a personal trainer and a strength coach initially. Um, I only saw myself as, as becoming like maybe a, an assistant on a, on a football team, 
And then, you know, next thing I know, uh, I'm uh, taking a certification, sitting for it, take the test. And, you know, I, I realized that I'm good at working out. Uh, when I was in college, set a handful of records for my positions, my size. And for me, it was just going to work every day and I enjoyed it. So showed up, lift, go to class, show up, lift, go to class. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it keeps everything kind of together. I mean, similar story. When I was younger, I was, you know, I ate a lot of Oreos and cheesecakes and things of that sort. And the good stuff. I, I, yep, exactly. All the good <laughs> things. And then I, I went to the gym, you know, to, to get a better body image. And then I started playing a sport. I played basketball and then I, you know, I got better at it. And then that kind of merged in with the um, with working out. And then I got better because of the working out. But similar to your story, we used to go to weight, you know, weightlifting in ninth grade. I thought it was the dumbest thing I've ever been to. I mean, I just for everybody out there until the 11th grade, I thought lifting for sports was the stupidest thing we've done. We used to stay after school and run around a track and lift. And I'm, I would dread lifting weights at school. So then about junior year, I started going on my own and, you know, I used to try, you know, started to understand some things and that's when it took off, but, but very similar story. Right. And then all of a sudden you go to a gym every day and when you don't go, it's like you withdrawals, but you know, when you first start, cause you know, we used to do uh, the basketball, our, our football team was pretty good. So we did box squats, deadlifts, bench press and power cleans. And that's all we did. We did that three times a week and we would run two and a half miles before that. And we would do plyometrics after the two and a half miles. So I yeah. was just an absolute, I was like, well, this, this is terrible, but similar to right. that, that's where we, uh, so I just want to go into real quick when you went to, you know, for, for criminal justice, switching gears into the physiology, were you always like a book savvy person? You mentioned being very cerebral yeah. and, and being able to understand the X's and O's. Was that transition not as hard because, you know, you're, you're already a person who's interested in the, muscles and the movements and then going yeah. into that yeah it was it was fairly simple i mean um obviously doing the workouts and growing up and and you know working out i didn't really understand the why behind what i was doing but i understood the movements and school has never been an issue for me uh both my parents were teachers so uh, you know a b is like you're shamed um <laughs> So yeah, school and I'm, and, and all this stuff is sort of mentioned in my book, but like in, in school, it was kind of just like the pause between sports or athletic pursuits and working out. And it was the easy part. The hard part was the challenging, uh, the challenges of playing sports. So uh, once I figured out what it was that I wanted to do and, and, and what direction I guess I was going, um, I couldn't get enough, uh, physiology, anatomy, uh, kinesiology, the program design, um, you know, if it was there, I was trying to read about it and trying to absorb as much as I could to try to grasp as much as I could, because once I got like a taste of it, it made the exercises that much more potent It made, you know, why I was doing bench press or horizontal flexion, what was happening. And, I like I couldn't get enough. I became like um, addicted to it. And then it became once I learned information, I like took it to the gym and I was like, all right, how do I use this? And how can I make my exercise more viable, and potent? And it was just kind of perpetuated my desire to be inside the gym. And I think made my own workouts more potentially, uh, I guess, profitable in, 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 in the worst case scenario, the worst word I can use. Um, 
just for me, like it was beneficial for me to learn that and then apply it. And then once I started applying it, I started to see how it was going. And in like 2008, I, I was sitting down at, at the table with my dad and I was like, I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get a master's degree in this and I don't want to be a strength coach. And my dad was just like, do it. And my mom was kind of like, eh, that's not a thing. People don't do that. Um, be a lawyer, be a doctor, be a teacher. Those are careers. Um, so it was, it was, it was a challenge because in my family being, uh, educated teachers and, and professionals, uh, strength coach wasn't, you know, uh, a thing. And I mean, that's just where, uh, you know, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do in probably right around 2008. That was it. Uh, I knew it. And, uh, have spent every year since trying to get there yeah i think it's very interesting you, you talk about you know family with professionals and how still right strength conditioning is also it's not it's not seemed as a legit thing right. like oh you even now you know you work in professional you train all over the place it's you you still don't have like a a legit career well what else you right. know i'm sure you've gotten it what are you going to do now right i remember when i was in the minor leagues at a you know former girlfriend's house her grandmother looked at me and goes, what are you going to do with all this? You know, what are you, right. what's next? And I'm like, well, I'm in a, I'm a strength coach of a professional baseball team. There's only 350 of me, you know, left, but it's still not, it's like playing around in the grass. You know, I, I, I and I, that's something that's always kind of irked me because one of the other things you brought up is, and I think that a lot of people listening and, and out there can, especially for me too, what happens is we start working out, right? We lead a muscle and fitness and, and you start to see some changes. And then you start to go into the, what happens to the muscle. Then you start to go into the chemicals of what happens. Then you start to go into the physiology and then psychological mental stuff, what happens. And that's that wormhole. I think that we all get sucked into. And that's why I hate when people are like, Oh, you just write workouts. I'm like, no, all this stuff goes into that. And I think it's always interesting that for some reason, it's still not thought of as a legit thing, which it could be because we should be on the same level as doctors in some parts, because there are certain people, like I said, that can dive into this stuff unbelievably. I mean, I've been floored and I'm sure you have in, you know, different people, the level at which they go into this. I mean, I'm sure that if you're up on the stuff and, and you could probably agree, if you get involved in this deep enough, you're going to find somebody all the time who's 20 times better than you are or makes you feel like you have no idea what you're doing and maybe you should switch careers. So I think that's just a, a very important part to bring up. Once you get into this, it's, it's almost a never, never ending rabbit hole, but yep. it's so amazing what happens because, you know, you could take something as easy as like a hamstring curl machine and you'll end up going all the way into, you know, the hamstrings will fire exactly in the same way that they will when you run a race in your brain, if you think about it. And this was, you just did hamstring curls. And I just wanted to see a little bit more of what the body and what the hamstring is capable of. And also that thing with, you know, the career and, and, and how, you know, we're still on the outsource of, we don't know what you are doing, right. Or you go from, You'll be at a, at a big thing. You'll be at a country training the team. And then you have to go work at a private place and everybody talks to you like you don't know what you're doing. So I think that's a, a big, you know, a big point. And then I just want to go into, you know, with you, what are some of the, um, you know, maybe we could go with the changes that happened from when you first started and working out. And then as you, how has your philosophy kind of grown as you started diving into, uh, you know, the physiology and the movements and all those things? Um, 
So uh, I guess the best way to answer that is, uh, you know, as a young guy working out, you're, you know, you think you're invisible, so invincible. So you try to do everything. And I think as a trainer, initially you get sucked into that. Actually, I saw a post on Instagram today and I was going to bring it up, but this is a great place to bring it up where I was a manager at a gym for a while. And we, I used to have conversations with my training staff all the time, but the post today was about doing lunges and bicep curls and how like a lunge and a bicep curl is, is not a great pairing of exercises because you're really just trying to, well, one, you're maximizing time for the sake of maximizing time as a trainer. Um, but you really can't load either one of them to benefit the client. So the pushing together of those two, the merging of those two exercises basically is just like a feel good throwaway exercise. And like your client's going to hate doing lunges, but like now you're putting bicep curls in it. So you're like feeding them. Oh, well, you're going to get sculpted arms. And, um, you know, as a, as a young trainer, you see that and you're like, I mean, does that really work? Like I've always done, when I was training initially, it was always segmented like a bodybuilder. So like, if I'm going to hit arms, I'm hitting arms and I'm hitting legs, killing legs and it's a leg day. And over the years now I've realized like it's all noise. Really what you need to do is focus your attention. Like you said, right? Like you can go on a hamstring curl machine and do prone hamstring curls until you're blue in the face, or you can literally do a Nordic curl and do three of them and be like, God, that was awful. And I don't want to do that again. And then go run a mile and your hamstrings are destroyed. What's the cost benefit? Um, what's really necessary. And over the years and pretty much what my book is about is that there's really only five exercises you really need to focus on. And those five fundamental exercises are basically the baseline for everything that comes after or before. And as long as you try to, at least, at least if you're a novice lifter, get to that baseline, which are the five movements. And if you're an elite lifter, if you can perfectly perform those lifts at body weight and higher, you're strong. And, and anything more than that is, is again, noise. You don't need to do that much. Your body's going to transform and change um, with very, very minimal amounts because it's all additional to what you do in your day. So if you're an elite athlete and you do a hardcore strength conditioning workout, I mean, really, how much are you going to ask your body if you have to then get back on like you did a two-mile run and then you come and did plyos, your legs and everything are destroyed. You have no energy left. So is that really beneficial? In that situation, you're probably less is more, maybe two miles one day, plyos the next, and call it like call it a workout week. Um, so my fab five, as I dubbed them in the book, are squat, deadlift, bench press, pull up, and overhead press. If you can master those five movements in, in a capacity where you're moving your body weight, if not more than your body weight, an external load, you're strong. And you really don't need much more than that. And I, and I go into the accessories and Basically, for the for the multiple competitions that I've that I've competed in, I used a variation of three or four different movements a day of those movements to to get ready for it. And it took a lot of pressure off my joints. I wasn't doing, you know, four hour leg day workouts where I've done every version of a triple extension that you could possibly imagine and then broke it down to the single joint movement of all that. Um and I think that 
uh, as trainers, we've and coaches, we've kind of gone past, you know, teaching the basics and mastering the basics to now we have to do, you know, those entertaining exercises and workouts where we're doing power cleans into plyo, broad jumps into, uh, you know, med ball twists and, and throws where all that stuff is cool and it looks good for the gram, but it, but it's unnecessary for your workout. Like it's unnecessary for performance. You're not getting any more out of an athlete. If you test them to jump max effort and then have them do uh, a quarter squat, uh, you're not getting anything out of that. Um, so it's almost like as I've learned all this information, I've actually sort of come back to reality that less is more. And my philosophy is just master the basics for a new person, for, for an elite level athlete, master the basics, right? I worked with team China this past year and they're really good at the sports they play. But if you ask them to tie their shoe and chew gum and pat their head on, pat themselves on the head and it's outside the aspects of that sport, they don't, they don't even understand. It doesn't compute to them. And so you just have to work within the construct of what's the basic movement that's going to benefit them and, cre- and create and use plans that develop the, that skill set to, to promote and facilitate either their, I work with table tennis and weightlifting. So either sport, right. Either skill. Like, do you really need to make a, a table tennis player quote unquote stronger? The answer is no. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to go back to, where you talked to me getting the, the lunge and the bicep curl, you know, I, I've seen it as well, working in every place you can. I think what happens is the vocabulary gets thrown around a lot, right? Because like you said, that's a compound movement, quote unquote, in somebody's repertoire. But in reality, you're wasting your time because if we loaded the lunge the right way, you could tear your bicep. And if you're getting work out of the biceps, you're not doing anything for the legs. And I think that's you know, that's one of the things I, I've talked about before, and, and I'm, I'm happy you got brought it up because it's the words, right? Compound movement, okay, or we're maximizing time. What are we maximizing time for? Somebody along the way somewhere said, we're going to work out for an hour, and I need to destroy the person that I'm training in an hour, where in actuality, what you brought about up in your book, and, and I, I completely agree with those cornerstone movements, you only need five things, right? And then if we get into the strength and conditioning realm, you know, with everybody I've talked to, even at high levels, they're only doing what the team or the player needs and the only the important things. They're not going around for, we don't spend, you know, for people out there that may not be strength and conditioning coaches or not in the realm, you're not in a weight room with teams for four hours doing every single aspect of, we actually have less time than the general public. And so now we have to really say, okay, what is the best thing? And I think, you know, cost benefit, that's what you brought up. And I think that's always a big thing that everybody should think about what is the number one thing that they have to do? What do they have to get better at? And what, how much time do I have? And what is the least amount of things that I can do and get them better at to make them better at their sport, right? Otherwise known as the Vonderchuk movement of the system, because you're directly, everything that you do in the weight room has to directly impact your athletes. And I think that always gets skewed because and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers, but I feel like a lot of times you get people that are uninformed or don't want to do that behind the scenes work. They don't want to learn. So it's easy to take your client and say, okay, we're going to do a calf raise with a shoulder press or, you know, I'm sure Frank, we could talk about it for days that the nonsense I've seen over yeah. the time. And, and one of the things I used to run into and, and not saying, but 
I had clients that were 70 years old, right? 80 years old working in regular. They would start to point out other clients and say, Joe, why is this person doing that on a bench? Aren't they supposed to be, right? Aren't their heels supposed to be on the ground? Aren't they supposed to be lowering slowly? Why is that other trainer not saying anything? And for me, it was always, what are you going to do, right? You work for a corporation. You work for somebody's business. These people are supposed to be your colleagues. Now they're air quotes. But now you have your clients when you're good at this or when you, you know, when you educate your clients along with putting them through workouts, like every trainer and strength coach should, right? If your client has no idea what's going on and you're two years in, we might want to change some stuff around. But then you get to a point where your clients are asking you about why the other trainers are doing things wrong. And then you end up in a sticky situation because in your brain, you're like, well, that's because that's right. And this is wrong, but you don't want to kind of ruin that, that camaraderie that you're supposed to have. So I think that's a very good point that Frank brought up, you know, compound movement is triple extension. And there's a list, shoulder press, vertical pull, horizontal pull, bench press, squat, deadlift. That's a compound lift. It's not when you decide to take two things that you like and combine them together, right? A lunge and a bicep curl is nonsense, right? For some people, it might be great. Now, now going back now, if you're a novice person and you haven't been to a gym in a year or never, and you have a set of dumbbells in 10 minutes, a lunge and a bicep curl might be something that is, is beneficial, right? We always talk about, and he brought it up and I'll say it again, cost and benefit. If you're somebody that has 10 minutes, and you just want to move, you can use these things. But if you're a trainer and you have an hour, there's really no point. You're, you know, I've seen it all. You know, push-ups on foam rollers and guys balancing on BOSU balls while juggling dumbbell plates. And I'm like, you just want to go over there and be like, what are you doing? You know, like, and, and you know, not to say it could be correct, but it doesn't look good. And I think we fall into that thing you brought up also with the, the, the Instagram. Looks great on the gram if you light yourself on fire and your shoulder press, but what is that actually doing? You know, so I always think it's interesting and I always want to stop and make a point of that. Make sure you know what a compound movement is. Always cost benefit. It doesn't matter if you train, you know, World Series champion or Super Bowl Tom Brady or the general public. What is the cost of what you're doing in terms of the benefit, how much time you have left and what cost benefits in the ratio of time? Because you don't have to kill somebody. And I always love those compounds. And you brought up, you know, China and Europe. I always feel like they figured it out years ago. And then we figured it out way, way down the road, like five, you know, 10 years ago. And But we're still trying to reinvent the thing with all these, with TENS units and stuff. And not that the equipment's bad, but they already laid the foundations out with the exercises. And you just have to follow them along. And then as, you know, the TENS units and the canapults and all that stuff comes together, we can use that to better the movements. But I think that whole going wide left and, and you know, not using certain things or different stuff, that's just you being kind of stubborn instead of using what's already out there. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, Frank, I just want to go into the, the book, right? We, we've talked about it. We've touched on it. But I, I just like to go into what actually, you know, made you write the book and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to write this and then kind of segue into just what it's about, you know, for everybody out there listening. And then, of course, we know uh, where, where they can, you know, get the book at the end. We'll, we'll put that in there. But, you know, sure. are you, how did you start? You know, were, were you, was it something you always want to do? And then kind of maybe little parts of the book of, of the different yeah. sections. So I, I absolutely did not aspire to write a book. Um over the years in running my company, Sentinel Performance, 
Um, I just, I knew that we were on to something in terms of the thought process and the values and the core things about educating your clients and teaching them that like what's necessary and what's noise, what's peripheral noise. And always, I mean, from the time I was, uh, you know, 14, compound movements were always like my friend and I always wanted to get better at them. And over the years, just, you know, I kind of started seeing it, especially as becoming a manager for, for gyms and having to teach it, you know, you start to see that like there's a hierarchy of exercises and the trickle down effect. And, you know, being a manager, I have to teach the, the new hires and, and the trainers below me, like what is the proper protocol? And, you know, you'd have to go to these in-house education classes and you'd have to sit with other managers and go back and forth. And I can tell you right now, that there was, uh, without a doubt, there was times where I was in these education classes arguing till I was blue in the face that a deadlift is the granddaddy of them all. Like that's the exercise that if you want to get the most bang for your buck, have somebody do a deadlift, a properly loaded deadlift. And they're not going to want to do lunges with bicep curls. Like they're going to be like, I'm good. No, 20 minutes of deadlifting. I'm good. And so over the years, just, it, it just been a thought process that, you know, I felt like I was screaming it from the mountaintops, but I really didn't have a, a voice. And then once I started running my own company, I realized that I do have a voice and I needed to use that platform to really, really push that information because honestly i think again as you know whether or not it's it's the noise of instagram whether it's you know social media and marketing ploys that they there's always a a quick fix and a solution but what i've learned in the gym is that it's not quick especially like trying to really get strong you you put a certain amount of weight on the bar and it either is getting lifted or it isn't. And if it isn't getting lifted, why is it getting lifted is, is all about what you're doing to get ready to do that movement. And uh, yeah, so through the years of, of owning the business, I, I kept like telling my business partner, I was like, I think one of us needs to write a book. And, you know, we did a blog and I wasn't, and I don't think that I, I I'm a very good writer. Um, uh, just from, for various reasons, I just believe that was one of the weaker things I did. Um, so I just kept putting it off like, eh, maybe I'll try to, you know, compile our blogs and have my business partner write it. He just seemed to be a little bit better at writing than I was. Um, but while I was in China, um, I read a book from Damon John, who's, uh, the founder of FUBU. And he basically was like, I was working, the beginning of the book is his story. And he was like, I was working full time at, I think, Fridays as a, as a, as a bar back and, and waiter making decent money. But in the like off hours when I wasn't working, I was trying to hustle FUBU. I was trying to get it off the ground. I was sewing things. I was promoting the business. I was going clubs and trying to get people to wear my stuff. And I was like, man, I, I really need to do something about that because in that thought process, like I want to promote my thought process and share it with the world, but I'm afraid to write. So during the downtimes between training sessions in China, I mean, I don't speak Chinese. 
once we got into lockdown, it was, I didn't really have anything else to do. I'm not watching Chinese TV. Cause again, I don't speak the language. Um, I just ran out of excuses. So I started putting pen to paper and I started writing. I mean, almost immediately when I got there, I was like, man, I don't know anybody. I have nowhere to go. This is, I might as well, I, I've, I've got nothing. So I got no reason to not do this. And in the beginning it was kind of just like cathartic and, I was just writing, you know, both my story, how I thought of the, 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 the thought process and I developed it over the years and cultivated, you know, doing those core movements. And, you know, once I sort of put it all together, I, I was kind of talking to a couple of my friends and they're like, yo, get it, see if you can get it uh, edited and see what they say and see if it's even worth doing. And I was like, all right. So I, you know, I, I reached out to a couple of people, and someone did it. And then they told me I had two stories. I had basically the thought process that created the, 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 the core values and, and like my biography. And then I had the second half, which was what it was. And my editor at the time was just like, you got to try to bridge the gap in some capacity. And, you know, I went back through it and I looked at it and I was like, you know what? All of these things have given me confidence. When I was a fat pudgy kid, didn't want to take off my shirt, was afraid to do anything. But really the only reason why I'm not afraid to do anything is because of how many times I failed in the gym. Like there's plenty of times where I have weight on the bar and you talk yourself out of it. You're like, oh my God, what am I thinking? I have 400 pounds on the bar. Why would I even do this? Um, but just from doing it, you have, you get gain that confidence. So it kind of just kind of hit me like a lightning bolt that I should call the book confidence and reality. The subtitles came in through the editing process that I developed, you know, in working out through strength and conditioning and physiology, kinesiology and the program design. I, I developed a confidence and, and a way to build discipline through failure. And that's basically the book. I, I tell you my story and how I developed the idea in the first half. And then the second half, I give you the program that I created for myself that really only used these five exercises. And basically anybody that I've trained since uh, probably like 2014 has gone through this thought process. I just didn't put it on paper. And my actual workout for two bodybuilding shows and powerlifting shows are in this book. My diet, it's in the book. Uh, I also give guidelines to nutrition and I try to, again, simplify it. Because in reality, as a strength coach, like we discussed earlier, you need to do a, both a cost-benefit analysis of what it is that you're trying to ask yourself. And then two, try to simplify it so that anybody you're giving it to understands. Yep. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I was actually listening to Wim Hof on Joe Rogan. Uh, on the way home from, I, I just came back from the city and he talks about the secret to right mastery or intelligence is being able to simplify. And I think what you've done with your book is exactly that. And, and it's always, it's always something that's almost circled around, right? Nobody talks about the gym for, for confidence. Nobody talks about the gym for depression or, or mental health. It's always exercise or it's, it's always like something along the lines. Oh, if you don't feel good or you don't have confidence, then you should try and work out or move around, right? Instead of somebody actually saying, if you feel depressed, 
go to the gym every day and run on the treadmill for 20 minutes and see how you feel. Right. I feel like with the gym, because there's so many, I guess, things out there, right. Yoga and, and different types, CrossFit and stuff. It gets caught in like, all of it is still fitness and all of it is still a discipline and it can fix so much stuff, but instead it's not put down as, as a way to fix certain things, right? Nobody's ever run, you know, they say, oh, the best way to come, you know, you listen to psychologists and, and different things in the, in the mental health industry, they'll say, you know, if you don't, if you're a person who has some mood issues or whatever, you know, make sure your room is cleaned and then go to the gym. But there is never, you know, there's really never been a lot written about my journey and how I develop confidence into the gym. Or if you're somebody that experiences something with, with mental issues or struggles with, let's just say organization, go to the gym, right? It's always seems like it's, it's either an afterthought or it's like sprinkled over the top, like it's not a big deal. When in reality, working out is the only thing that can pretty much get rid of everything. And then, you know, now going into new studies, working out is the only thing that keeps your mind fresh, right? The brain games and all that stuff pretty much don't do anything, but working out on a regular basis is the only thing that keeps uh, our brains and our mind, uh, you know, actually running. And I think, uh, you know, to your point too, we talk about going to the gym and, and what to do. And, and sometimes people are confused. I think the other reason is that people don't really have a grasp about go to the gym or what it actually is, right? So in order for you to say, I go to the gym and it's helped me with this, you have to go, you know, somebody has to put guidelines down and it's not because somebody that goes to the gym for a half an hour a week and talks on the treadmill and plays on their phone, they go to the gym. So, right. but also on the other side of the foot, somebody that works out six days a week, you know, everything is, is mapped out. They do their nutrition and they see great gains. They're also a gym goer. And I think the bandwidth and the measurement of your process or your gains, if you will, at the gym is what should separate you from a gym goer and not, but it's not right. It's you go to the gym. If you take a, you know, if you do nothing two days a week and I go to the gym, if I go six days a week and kill myself. So I think right. that's where we have you an issue. And that's where I think that the book is great. So, you know, your experiences, your training to actually say, this is what I went through, but this is what I did. And then here's the results, which I don't think has done a lot of, right. There's a lot of suggestion and a lot of, Oh, you know, take medicine. Oh, but go to the gym too. But it's not really been zeroed in on to help with those things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. I've, I've been, I was diagnosed with, uh, depression and anxiety after my dad died in 2009 and I've always gone to the gym and honestly there are days where I probably don't want to go to the gym but I make myself do it because I know that it will only get worse if I don't go to the gym and um for me again the movement and that release and the the destruction if you will in the in the gym is it, it is a catharsis for me it releases me of of those demons it releases me of the the questions about whether or not i can accomplish something the one thing that i do know that i think people always start to play this this weird little game with themselves is like oh, i'll start on monday or uh, no if you just do it and you just show up every day it really doesn't matter what you do in the gym it doesn't have to be this profound program, right? Like it could be something really simple. You go to the gym, you walk on the treadmill, you get a mile in and then you do squats, lunges, knee extensions and go home. Like it doesn't have to be 
It doesn't have to be crazy. And really, that's the that's the point of my book is that you don't have to go. I mean, again, I know Instagram and all the different social media platforms, you know, for all the fitness gurus out there, they'll tell you, you know, you got to kill your legs. You got to do this. You don't like one really one exercise a day if done properly can maximize and benefit you a way more than if you do 30 different exercises and it'll take you a hell of a lot less time because it's, it's more specific to what it is that you need to accomplish. And ultimately I think there is, there's this crazy little, uh, I think war that's sort of happening in, in both the fitness industry and the medical profession, right? If I can give you a pill, I'm going to give you a pill. Because on the back end, I make money on that pill. So I'm not going to say, go to the gym and work out. I'm going to say, take this pill. But I'm also going to play to the person that's like, I want to do as little as possible. So I'll take the pill. And so it's it's sort of one hand washes the other. But they're, they're both looking at the elephant in the room and just being like, that guy, we're not going to talk about that guy. And it, it it's tough because as you know, as a personal trainer, as, as, as a strength coach through my career, I feel like I've been shouting from the mountaintops to try to get people to listen to me. And it's funny because everybody that I talk to generally resonates what it is that I'm saying. And it's like, yeah, you get it. You understand. And then you talk to the lay person and they're like, yeah, all of that just sounds like I'd rather just take a pill. And it's like, all right, well, then we're back to square one. And, you know, then again, you have somebody that's arguing the point, a lunge and a curl is exercise. When I, you know, again, in that combination, it's, it's, there's better exercises you can do. That might not be a terrible exercise. There's just better alternatives out there. And I think because something that we discussed earlier about how we're viewed in the profession or lack of profession, because it's just not recognized, it, it's it's a cultural thing where a doctor is always going to trump a strength coach. And it's just the way of the world because that's just what we were taught from years and years of just doctors know more than somebody else because they went to school longer. I mean, I went to school for seven years, but I'm not an MD. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an uphill struggle. And I think ultimately the only way that this changes is if as strength coaches and strength professionals, we keep banding together and, and reiterating those same messages over and over and over again, because in reality, that's the only way we're going to get rid of these, these gurus that are, 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 you know, have 10,000 followers on the internet to, to really change it. And yeah, Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've said it, you know, it's us against big pharma, you know, and, and you're not really, that's really not a battle. You can, you can win, you know, on your own and, and, you know, billions and billions of dollars. So it's, it's getting people to understand. And, and I think, you know, one of the things, you, you know, bringing up with you, with your, you know, history of different things, the, the other thing that's, that's always interesting about working out too, which is hard is you don't understand the benefits until you get into it. Because if you go to the gym as a novice and you don't like it, it's terrible every time you're not going to like it. But as you start getting better and better, right, you want to go more. And then naturally your food choices become better because now we don't want to screw up what we did in the gym. And then 
as you get better at that, now we want to clean up our food because it wants to get better at the gym. And then we start to expand all of it. And then things of cheat meals and missing days at the gym, they're not things anymore because of how good it makes us feel, right? And then when you end up in a spot where, you know, death in the family or something happens that disturbs your, you know, you mentally, you know that what the outcome of the gym is going to be. However, if you don't work out or you're new and something like that happens, you can't just go into a gym and you're going to know it's going to make you feel better. So I think that is always another, you know, we talk about elephants in the room. I think that's always another problem because it doesn't work like, like the pills you talk about, right? If I have high blood pressure or my sugar's up from diabetes, I'm going to take a pill. I can eat a cheesecake, right? They have those magic pills. I'm sure you've had clients that have them. They take it, their blood sugar goes down and we're good to go, right? Working out, if I eat a cheesecake and my blood sugar went up because I have type two diabetes, if I go to the gym, it's not going to go down in an hour. But over time, I can fully get rid of the type two diabetes and taking those pills altogether. But you can't do that unless you're already involved. And I think that's what happens. And again, the whole doctor thing. They went to school for nine years and we went to school for seven, but because we have this, and I'm not saying that there's not, you know, good and bad because I have friends that are doctors, but you have to understand there's a pill and a pharmacy behind the doctor and he sees 30 people a day. It's easier to say, look, just go take this thing. We know hundred percent it's going to work and, you know, and, and you'll be okay regardless of what might happen in 20 years, because in theory, if he said, hey, go see Frank, he doesn't know, right? Regardless of whether or not you're proven and, and whether you have your thing. And I think that's where we run into it. Or as you said before, in general, as a public, we're very lazy. I mean, COVID, if it taught anybody anything of how immune terrible we are and just how you know we don't move around and, and take care of ourselves, not that we need to wear three masks, but we should, you know, we should start to become healthier. But People are going to choose to sit on their couch and take a pill as opposed to signing up to go to a gym three times a week, you know, and I think as long as we stay educated and and get the information out like Frank has with the book, I think that's how we we try to make a small change. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I mean, I'm fully aware that what we do is not instant. I mean, I, I, I'm 37. I've been working out since I was 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, diligently, and it's taken me a lifetime to get here. I probably could have gotten here sooner had someone opened my eyes earlier. And that's really ultimately why I wrote the book, because I want to try to help as many people as possible not have to go in that winding process to get where I've gotten. Um, so, yeah, the the idea behind it all wasn't really to turn a dollar. It was really like I was tired of telling the two people you know, that I have in my, in my immediate circle or like for in my gym, the 20 people, right. I felt like I needed to reach further and that's really why the book came about. Um, but ultimately the book's underlying thought process was to try to just keep pushing that message as much as I can. And because I think it's valuable to know that you don't need to take a pill that if you do a little bit more than what you do in your daily life, it'll have profound effects. It's not going to be immediate. It's just going to be about consistency over time. And 
I mean, I, I in the book, there's actually, I wrote out a formula that's like consistency plus time plus work over time. It, it's going to get you what you want. Um, and you just can't think that it's going to happen tomorrow. And, I, and even with the clients that I consistently still train, you know, it is a battle because they, they, you know, they go on social media and they see these people have these instant transformations. And it's like, no, you're seeing a snapshot right now after 12 weeks the the photos in my book of me after i worked out or during workouts that's six weeks of me being overly diligent with my diet and being extra extra on point whereas normally i walk around i'm you know 160 pounds for the book cover and the photos inside i'm 149 so and i realized that there's not a lot of people that are mentally built like me, but there's more people out there that are like me that want to do the work. They just don't know how, which is why I wrote the book. Yeah. And I, I think that's another thing too, where you talk about, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the overall volume. And I think that's another discourager. It's a volume, right? Cause you'll hear people all the time. Oh, look at this person at the gym. Who's, you know, somebody who's overweight. And I've always said, it doesn't matter if you go to the gym if you're somebody who's overweight, never worked out, you go to the gym and you just walk around the gym for 10 minutes and go home. But you do that every day. Eventually, you're going to use a machine and then you're going to use a second machine and a third. And I, I really want to bring up the point that you've brought up numerous times, but it is not about what you do at the gym. It's about developing the pattern. Right. And this Instagram stuff, you don't have to go to the gym for three hours. And everybody on Instagram, I hate to tell everybody they have great genetics or they're taking some stuff, right? And, and if you've, you know, not to, not, I don't want to tar, start a whole thing on juice because that's a whole nother podcast, but the stuff is unbelievable. Like you can literally not try at all and take some things and in four weeks, you'll be, you know, borderline stage ready. So it's very important. And I want to get out and I feel like it's a good time to talk about it is to make sure on social media, you have sometimes steroids, very good genetics, and you have filters, right? And just the amazing thing, and, and me personally, I think, I don't take them for everybody out there as a disclaimer, but steroids are amazing in terms of scientific, what they can do, the change to the DNA, the increased muscle mass, the burn stuff. So it's very important to just look at somebody and say, okay, what is that? Because if you have somebody that has genetics, carries low body fat, great bone structure, and then we start to add some juice, I mean, come on, every exercise you do. I mean, I've seen kids, they look like they can walk on the 212 Olympia and they're doing rows at some, you know, BS gym in the middle of nowhere with 500 million followers. You know, so I think it's always do your work, right? If you look at it and now you have to know what steroids looks like, but look at that and say, okay, does that look like something that any normal person can attain in six weeks, right? Or does it look like, you know, I think, I think it's amazing that, or, you know, Frank brought up for the pictures in the book, he was 12 to 15 pounds below what his walking around weight is, right? Because in order to get the six pack and the seven, and the, the vascularity as on a normal, you know, doing the hard work, it's all about your diet. And it's all about, you know, being very well below where your body wants to be because we're losing body fat. So just know, you know, when you're out there listening and looking through Instagram, these kids are either on something, they're vernetic, they're, they're very nicely genetically blessed, and it didn't, the program that they're doing is not 
didn't get them there. And, and again, I'm not taking away from, you know, people, there are some people out there that have broke their ass and, and done their work, but just use your due diligence. And the real reason I want to bring it up is don't use Instagram as to measure what you're doing at the gym. If you're somebody that doesn't move around, don't let a guy on Instagram discourage you. Go to the gym, walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes, go home, do that for a month. And then we build, right? I think the biggest thing of, of what we've talked about over the last hour is that it doesn't take a big change. It's a little bit. And the little change over time becomes and brings about accountability. And the more change, the more accountability. And then Absolutely. we start to have life changes. Yes. Agreed. It's, it's a, it's a, and naturally, even with my clients, it's, it's a progression, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't have somebody that's not doing anything and throw the book at them and be like, you just, you got to do all these things. It's like baby steps day one. You know, we're going to incorporate 20 minutes of walking here a day. We're going to do three exercises and you're done. And then day two, same thing, day three. And it's going to look like that for a while until, until their body is ready for more. And then, you know, once they're, they start to see a su- slight bit of change, we could take anywhere from six to eight weeks or more. It, then you could start saying, all right, now we're going to look at your diet and now we're going to do this because initially you know, it's a lot for a person that doesn't work out to come to the gym and really, really, really bite off more than they chew because it's always a lot of motivation in the beginning. But over time, that motivation is going to fade, right? Day one, you go hit a hard workout and you're sore for the next week of your life. You're And you don't like working out. You're going to be like, nah, this isn't for me. I don't want to do this anymore. But the reality behind it is you just got to stick with it. You got to you gotta get through those two weeks of, of overly sore doms and and you know i I, just, I hate my life i hate everything because you know your body's going to be sore you're adding in a brand new set of questions that you've never asked it before and again you know it's great that instagram exists because people can share lots of different things but that you're only seeing glimpses and and moments and fractions of time of what that person's really doing and ever since I started in this industry, the one thing that I've always prided myself on is being as diligent in terms of my own knowledge so that I could be the best coach and represent the information to my clients as best as I could and keeping it simple, right? One of the philosophies that I have that, may, and maybe I'm, you know, in, in this foreign world, I try to keep everything simple that I can explain it to a third grader. Because if I can't explain it to a child in third grade, I probably can't explain it to an adult. So I prided myself on over the years learning the, the way to express and make it digestible for information to share so that people aren't overwhelmed, right? Because again, this stuff is for you and me, ABCs, this stuff is easy. We do this all day long. But for anybody that's come to us that like, doesn't really do this on a day-to-day basis like we started the original conversation it's a playground for us it's fear for them so you got to make it inviting you got to make it achievable and attainable in, in small doses and eventually like you said over time a plus b plus c you, you'll get through the alphabet absolutely and, and i think it's important to understand what you're doing when you have new clients is you're disguising what you're doing into fun while they exercise, right? Because right. I've been in places before where you get yelled. I mean, I'm a talker. That's why I have a podcast, but I've gotten yelled at for talking too much or people tell me that I'm taking the, the concentration off of work. And I'm like, listen, these people don't want to be here. 
So if we're going to talk about tennis or Jeopardy and they're going to get some lunges in while I distract them, that's what we're going to do, right? So I think it's all about understanding, you know, as Frank said, doing your due diligence because it's not that you, your clients want to be bombarded with science. It's more, the more you know, the more, the simpler I can make things. And then now I can have you do something that's very beneficial with a little bit of risk while we talk about movies and TV and your children. And over time we get better. And that's what we want to do. I think that's, you know, phenomenal. Just for everybody out there, everything is simple. It's the simplest things. And then we add complex your clients don't come to you because you do handstand walks through an agility ladder, right? It looks great, but it doesn't do anything. So simplicity and then the benefits. And then if you can, eventually you want to mask that simplicity with the greatest amount of benefits while your clients have no idea that they're actually working out, if you will. And I think that's when you figured it out. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, Frank, it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I definitely want to get my hands on that book and, and give it a read. Um, for anybody out there listening, where's the best way to get a hold of you to ask you questions, you know, yeah. the book, uh, things of that sort? So best way to get a hold of me is either through Instagram, fitwithfrank83. Um, you can email me. It's fcasenza617 at gmail.com. And the book, listen, you just look up my name on it, on Amazon and you can, you'll find it. It's on there and it's only on Amazon right now. Uh, it's either a Kindle version or a paperback. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just, just search my name and, and it pops up. I'm either the first or the second. There's one or two of us in there. Um, and, and again, I tried to make it as simple to find me or make myself, um, available to the masses as much as possible because again you can get overwhelmed with all the information out there and you know there's a lot of truth in all the stuff that's out there but there's bits and pieces of it just like the glimpses you see of all these fitness gurus and, and people on instagram you're getting bits and pieces of reality and as much as i can i pride myself on being as honest and upfront with everybody and in reality it's it's consistency over time. Little small changes will have profound effects in the long run. Absolutely. This whole, this whole world and fitness industry is all about consistency. Well, Frank, thank you again for coming on. Uh, just one question. Uh, is the link for your book available in your bio for the Instagram? I believe it is. Um, okay. If not, I can, I'll send it to you and you can and okay, post well, it. Yeah, because right. I, I will tag you on the uh, Strength Coach Experience Instagram. Uh, awesome. When the episode comes out, I'll uh, probably start doing that in a few days. But I just wanted to make sure if somebody wanted the book, uh, if that bio was in there to be easy. But if not, send it to me and I will definitely stick that in. Yeah, there. I believe it is. But just in case, I'll send it to you. So we got it. All right. Awesome, Frank. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.